This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, I've mention. It's an amazing organization, so much that they do in front of the scenes, and so much more that they do behind the scenes. In order to understand this session, is to understand the story behind the session. If you'd walk into a kindergarten class in one of our yeshivas or bisyakos, statistically speaking, 3% of the parents of the children in that class are divorced. But that's not the story. You see, by the time that class hits high school, the number goes up. But that's not the story. By the time the youngest child in that family is married off, the number goes up. But that's not the story. The story is about a couple living in Lakewood, struggling through Shunri Shina, because they're woefully unprepared for marriage. The story is about a couple married 15 years. They're living in Williamsburg and they're constantly bickering and fighting with each other. They don't understand what each other means. They don't understand how to communicate with each other. The story is about a couple that's married 35 years and they're completely disconnected from one another. These stories are part of more stories and more stories and maybe the story is your story or maybe the story is the story of your child or maybe the story is your child's friend or your friend's child and maybe it's the person sitting next to you tonight we would like to change the ending of many of these stories when I was a child there was a different story that was being told. The story goes that a Rebbe walks into a classroom and he says, Talmudim, my kindalach, how many children in this room can raise their hand and confidently say that my mommy and daddy love me? And the story that I heard as a child was that one kid in the back of the room raised his hand. But over the last decades, we've understood that when we teach parents you need to express love to your children. You have to tell them, I love you. You have to build them up. Then we have changed that story. That story is no longer as big a story as it used to be. So I took that story, and when I teach Kassanam, I'll say to them, I have a question for you. And I want you to raise your hand. If you want your marriage to be as happy and successful as your parents, and sadly, not enough people are raising their hands. That is the story. To show the world we're happy, you need three things. A phone, Instagram, and a duck face. Very easy. <laughs> to actually be happy, to instill 
in our children what it means to build a biased memory to be strong. That takes a lot of work. Tonight's session is going to focus on three unique and crucial points. Number one is how we can solidify our own marriages and relationships. The second point is how we can set up our children so that they can maximize their relationships. And the third will be to understand practical, practical tools that we can understand and our children can understand how they can take the most important decision that they have ever or will ever make in their entire lifetimes and they can maximize that decision. In order to have success in nearly anything that we're going to do in life, you need to have a vision. This vision starts at home. A father once asked me, he said, you're teaching my son who's a chassan. What are you going to teach him? Like, I'd like to understand. In my days, chassan classes, was in a room, 50 people, someone gave a speech. He said, you're sitting with my, chas- with my son who's a chassan over and over and over. What are you teaching him? So I said to him, if I could sum it up, over the last 25 years, you've been communicating to your son what it means to be a husband. And I'm now going to take those things that you have showed him and I'm going to put them into words and concepts so that he could recognize all the things that you've done for him. All the things that you showed him, I'm now going to put them into concepts that he can take and become an amazing husband to his wife. And the man looks down at his shoes and he says, I have two questions for you. He says, number one, can you please add a few sessions? Because there's no way my son has any foundation upon which to build. And then he said, can I speak to you privately after you finish with my son? A child who sees a successful home, he has a vision for what his marriage is supposed to look like. When we put that child in front of a chassan teacher, a kala teacher, we give them the skills that they need to build their own marriages. Somebody who's able to speak to them about the emotional connection that they're going to have. They can have a tiger understanding of what a male-female relationship is supposed to look like. Somebody who could identify when something is wrong and somebody who can do something about it. And somebody who could speak about the most intimate parts of our life in a way that today's dar is able to understand and change their understanding from the street to the base measures. That is changing today's story so that tomorrow will look a little bit brighter. We're lucky enough to have with us two giants. The first one, who we're going to introduce right now, Rabbi Zakai Wallerstein really needs no introduction. He's an international speaker. He's an author. He's the founder of Arnava, Taras Nava, the Nokaya, and probably another dozen things. Not a dozen. 
But the real story behind Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, those stories nobody in this room will ever really hear. It's our honor and our privilege to hear from him. We're going to then have a short session once again, followed by Rabbi Farti, followed by a question and answer. Rabbi Wallerstein. Thank you very much. It's an honor uh, to be asked by the Aguda to speak again. Unbelievable Aguda convention changed so many people's lives and organizations. That helps make changes in Kleistral. A lot of things that the Aguda does, people don't even know about. Um, we are, people know that I'm Baruch Hashem, we have this chus Hashem gave us, the to come across a ranch in the mountains. Um, the first therapeutic all-girls all Jewish rehab. Until um, this point, children had to go to non-Jewish, to the Mormons in Utah, to all kinds of other places. And we were very, very excited to find this place. But in order to open such a place, um, you have to make a lot of connections, uh, licenses, and, and a lot of knowledge that myself and the organization had absolutely none of. And the first place that we turned uh, to help us with the government, with the Board of Education, with everything, was um, the Agro Office. And managed immediately they took us in and gave us hours of hours of connections and of their knowledge. It's not something that anyone talks about in the Agro, but I personally um, experienced it. So I want to thank everyone at the Agro, and uh, I want to thank Ruben Epstein and Rabbi for being here uh, tonight together. And the subject matter is um, marriage. When I when I got to the today when I got here, somebody asked me, "Sir Wallace, what are you speaking? What are you speaking about?" I said, "Marriage." He says, "Are you are you pro or con?" <laughs> I said, "Come to the speech, we'll find out." Um, definitely, definitely pro. So I like to learn lessons in psychology and coaching and ideas. Of course, we have the place to learn. Um, the place to learn is from the Torah, the greatest psychologist, psychiatrist, mental health helper, problem bias maker is, of course, Akash Baruch because he's GM to the car, you know? If you want to know about your car, you open your uh, glove compartment and you look at the manual. If you want to understand a human being's psyche, whether it's um, emotional or spiritual or physical, you open your manual, um, and that's the title. So tonight I really want to look at marriage totally from a Torah perspective. So it all started in Pasha's Beratius. In Pasha's Beratius, the Kodesh Baruch Hu created Adam with a very interesting Pasuk. It's very hard to understand. But Yahweh Hashem said, we're going to create Adam. But Adam, he created the man, in his Tzalem. In the same passage, he says that because Bokhu created him in his image, and Zachar, which is plural. So first it says Bara Oso, created him, and then it says created them. Was Adam a them or a him? 
So the Mephorshim, including Rashi, talk about that when he was created, he was created both male and female. Bara Osam, Zachor On the front side was his face, and on the back of his head was the Isha's face. They were actually, according to some Svarim, born, as we would understand whatever it means, as Siamese twins. And then Akash Bofu put him to sleep, and he separated the two. So the question is as follows. Kodbachu saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So therefore, he separated this being that was created female and male. Hashem made a mistake? He made a mistake? He created them female and male? Oh, that doesn't work. Let me separate them into two different Brias. It can't be that a Baruch Hu made a mistake. And why didn't he leave them like that? She was on his back. Why'd he leave him like that? So if you continue looking in the Psukim, it says that a Baruch Hu saw that it's not good for Adam to be alone. But he wasn't alone. Again, Baruch Oisam Zachunikeva. So he wasn't alone. So what does it mean that Hashem saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone? And the Teretz is, and it's all about marriage. You cannot communicate with someone that's on your back. I'm not going to say the joke that my class said, like, and we're still trying to get them off our back? Okay, anyway, that's a, that was a joke that my class said. But the truth is that if there's a face on the back of your head, when you turn to the right, the face turns to the left. When you turn to the left, the other face turns to the right. When you look up, the face on the back of your head is looking down. Everything that you're doing, the, the, the person on the back of you, is doing the exact opposite. So Kirsch Baruch Hu said, that's not an Azer. Azer has to be Kenegdoi. So I have to separate the two of them so that they can see each other. For if they cannot see each other, they cannot communicate with each other. And that's why Kodesh Baruch Hu said, he cannot be alone. I have to make a woman that's Azer Kenegdo, and women are Azer Kenegdo. I can tell you that before I walked in here, my wife put, pulled me aside and said, Zechariah, please be nice. <laughs> so they're always an Azer Kenegdo. And this is what happened here. And we learn from here that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself said that if you can't face each other, you can't communicate that way, then you're really alone. Now the question is, why didn't Hashem do that in the first place? Because had HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us as two separate beings, Adam would have said, the reason that things are not going so good, if you would have created us as one, all these problems wouldn't have happened. So first, the Kodesh Baruch Hu created us as one to realize that that does not work. And then he created us as two. Not that he made a mistake. So the first thing in marriage is to communicate. is to be able to talk to each other. And I think that's the first thing that I want to I talk about. So I deal with Baruch Hashem, I'm in Chinuch for 38 years and I deal with a lot of people. And there's a word that in Yiddishkeit really is a very special word. Word. It's not a bad word, and it's the word called love. We call it in English love, but in Hebrew we call it ahava, which comes from the word hav to give, and and it's used a lot. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu actually asks us in Kriya Shema to to love Him, right? Rahavta, And it's interesting that 
and this is a very important lesson in marriage, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't ask us to love him, right, in Kriyashma, twice a day, by Shachris and by Mayriv, until he tells us first that he loves us. You don't have a right to expect someone to express their feelings for you if you're not willing to express your feelings for them. So before we say Kriyashma, we make a bracha in the morning. Baruch atah Hashem, habaycheh ba'amal Yisrael ma'ava. Blessed are you Hashem, who chose us with love. You chose us with love? You have a right in Kriyashma to ask us to love you with all our heart. In Mayriv, at night, tonight, right? What did we say before Kriyashma? We make another bracha, right? Baruch atah Hashem, Ohev Amo Yisrael. Blessed you, Hashem, who loves his nation, Klai Yisrael. Because Baruch Hu expresses his feelings towards us. So he has a right to ask us, in turn, to express our feelings. So Kriyashma always comes after a bracha that has Ava, Avas Oilam, talks about love. Because Baruch Hu says, I love you. So they have a right to ask you to love me. But if we, he doesn't express, he has a right to ask anything. But if he doesn't express his feelings for us, and it's very hard for us to express our feelings in return. In the Mishnah, in Pirkei Avos, many times, I do with kids, I do with relationships, and they're like, my mother knows I love her. My father knows I love him. My husband knows I love him. My wife knows I love him. What do I have to say it for? For Hallmark cards, you know, maybe, you know, birthday, anniversary. Listen to the mission in Pekiavos. It's all Tyra. It's all Tyra. It's not Freud, it's Tyra. Who are you, I'm Rabbi Akiva said, Chaviv Adam Shinivre B'Tselem. A person is loved by Hashem because He created us in His image. Each one of us is one. There's a oneness. Because Baruch Hu's image is he's one. Every person in this room was created as one. Just one. One fingerprint, one person, one chance. Chiba Yaseira, Hashem shows his extra love. Because he tells us, he expresses to us that he loves us. Chiba the love is the action. He created us in his telem. The Chibi Yaseira is saying that I love you. So he told us that he created us The Chiba is that we're Banim Atem Hashem. The love is that we're his children. The Chiba Yaseira that he told us that we're his children. The Chiba is that he gave us his Klechemda, he gave us the Torah, the Chibi Yaseri is that he told us. It's not good enough, according to Rabbi Akiva in this Mishnah, that the other person should just know how you feel. The Chibi Yaseri is expressing it. Which goes back to what I said in the beginning. If you face each other, and you can talk to each other, then you can express your feelings for each other. And when your children see that the mother and father express their feelings, of course, in a sneeistic, kosher way, but they express their feelings for their parent, for each other, then they, in turn, will express their feelings to their husbands and their wives. For there is no school on marriage. 
There is no such thing as school and marriage, and going to chassan class is great, and Ruven is the superstar in this. At the end of the day, if a child is brought up a certain way, and that's his environment, we are creatures of our environment. So even though it's in your head and you're told what to do and how to be a good guy, well, the mice say it's not who you are because you don't come from that environment. So if you come from an environment that's complementary, where people are, where the husband is saying, your, your food is amazing, and he's complimenting the wife, and the wife, women don't realize that men need compliments because we don't, we don't show that. There's no question when a woman tells a man that she's proud of him, there's no one in the world that could give a husband more chizik, nobody, not even his parents, nobody, not even making a lot of money in business, than his wife, a man who goes to work every day, and his wife gives him a bracha, and his wife says, I'm proud of you, even though women think, Ach, guys don't need that, oh, do we need it? Oh, how important it is, because we don't communicate, we don't know which, what we need from each other. The number one thing in marriage is communication. Marriage is not a goal. That's one of the biggest problems today. The Shiduchim Boogie Monster. Right? So you have the Shiduchim Boogie Monster and you have the crisis. So you need to get your kid, especially if it's a daughter, she's got to be married right away. It's a goal to say, Mazel tov, my daughter is engaged. Mazel tov, my son is engaged. It's a goal. So once they get married, there's nothing left to do. They have this thing in sports, Lahavdo, that a lot of the people, a lot of the guys who win the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, for people who don't know, is the ultimate game in football. And to have a Super Bowl ring, every guy from when he starts in college and high school football, that's his dream. Like the World Series. And they found that many times that the guys who had the Super Bowl rings committed suicide, they sold their rings, they were depressed. And the answer is that their whole time they thought Right? That that's the goal in life, is to win the Super Bowl. And when you win the Super Bowl, you will be happy. So on the road to win the Super Bowl, you're very excited that I'm finally going to find the plateau where I'm going to be happy. Now you get to that, you win the game, everyone's taking pictures, everyone's talking about you for a week. And a week later, they're not talking to you about it anymore. And you're not happy. And you have no more goal. Because the thing that you dreamt about that would make you happy... Is not making you happy. So what do I do now? There's nothing else that's going to make me happy. I don't know how to make myself happy. I was a football player. I was looking to win the Super Bowl. And I won it. So now what? So now I'm depressed. So so many kids, they're so, because we're so scared about Shiduchim, right? So the whole object is to get the wedding dress, to walk down to the chuppah, to get engaged, to be on Simcha Graham. And the, it's the whole goal. And that's what's going to make me happy. Because that's what everyone is pushing. Shidduch, get married, get married. So the guy's thinking, this is going to make me happy, a girl. And the girl's thinking, a guy's going to make me happy. And they get married. And during the Shevet Brothers, everything's going wrong. And they're like, but this was the whole goal. And I got to the goal. And it's not making me happy. I'm struggling. So I'm done. So there's nothing else that's going to make me happy. Because everyone said that marriage is going to make you happy. Marriage is not a goal. Marriage is a means to a goal. We need to teach that to our children. To get married, you have a mishpacha, you have a household. You can make someone else happy. You break your selfish being by giving. It's, it's a means to reach a goal after 70 years of marriage. It's not a goal. I, I deal with all these kids. Ruvain, the two of us are very close. I send him all my problems. <laughs> and he sends me back kids that are healthy. And, and all these kids that I'm sending him, they're like, 
I thought this was it. This is not it. I mean, I don't understand what's going on. Boys and girls are very different. Now, all of a sudden, she's telling him to put his socks away. They never told him that in the dorm. Put your socks away. What does that mean? Right? And, and they, they, they reach the goal. And now, now what? They look at each other. Now what? It's not a goal. And we're selling this to our children. Just get married. Just get married. Just get married. Just get married. Just get them married. From when they're like 16 years old, you're worried already. Just get them married. So we just get them married. They won the Super Bowl. And they look at each other. Now what? It's not bliss. It's not Ganeiden. It's not what I thought. So I'm not going to work on it. It's just not worth it. We have to tell our children, marriage is not the goal. You can't have children if you're not married. Married. You can't have a family to open your doors to do chesed if you're not married. You can't have grandchildren if you're not married. It's a means to something amazing. If you're not there yet, it's a lot of work to get there. They mamish, you can ask for they don't have any idea what I'm talking about right now. What do you mean? Just getting married is not enough? It's not going to make me happy? It's like people who have marital problems and they think by having a child... That's going to fix our marriage. Anyone who deals with this knows it makes it worse. Because now you've got to deal with a kid that's crying all night. Because having a child is another goal. That's not marriage. Marriage is not a goal. It's a means to a goal. It's very hard to talk for 20 minutes about marriage. There's so many different points. There's one more point I want to make. I only have 20 minutes. So what does that word mean? What does love mean to Akash Baruch? What does, what does Ahava mean? What does it mean? So we know, and, and my wife does not like when I use this word, because it's a very harsh word, but the translation of, to me of Ahava, of love, is sacrifice. It's a terrible word. Like, you know, going under the chuppah and saying, like, I'd like you to sacrifice yourself for me. I think she's going to run right at that point, right? What, what do I mean by sacrifice? I just want to end with this. The ultimate test of Avram Avinu's love, Pasha Vayera, this week, was to sacrifice Yitzchak. So the ultimate test of all ten tests of what that Ava means was sacrifice. What does that mean, to sacrifice? So in a relationship, men are, Jewish men are probably the best businessmen in the world because we're always making deals with our wives. I'll go with you if you go with me. I'll pick up the kids. We always have deals. There's always a switch-off deal. That's not, that's not a marriage and that's not a relationship. Relationship is not give and take. If I give you something and I take it back, I gave you nothing. Relationship is give and give. What, what, is, what am I saying? What is the meaning? The meaning is like this. I'll just give you a fast example. So I deal with a lot of young guys. One might tell me them and like, you know, they don't understand girls. We're very different. Women go shopping and when they go shopping, they can spend four, five hours, six hours and not buy anything. And they come home with nothing, and they're so happy. <laughs> and guys, we go shopping. Six suits, six ties, right? A couple of sweaters, shirts, and shoes. Twelve minutes. And we never come home with, with nothing. Never. That's failure. That's a total failure. So, so we, don't, we don't really understand. We don't understand when you first get married. Like you're walking around, you know the store and you got all those hangers because they give us the hangers to walk around and you know your fingers stop the blood stops you know and you got like 16 hangers you're walking around around the store but we're good guys we do right and you say, you say to your wife listen you want me to go shopping on a Sunday my one day off I want to be with the guy whatever okay I'll do it but but next Sunday you got to go where I want to go right so it's a deal what real marriage and real love what the word love means 
that when I see you happy, that's what makes me happy. Nah, you want to be happy? Make me happy. You want to go shopping? Then I got to go here. The opposite. She goes for six hours and you're schlepping on a Sunday and you hate shopping. You hate shopping. You don't understand how they figure out minus 20%, then you only two, half, half or 2%, you get two dresses for three. You're thinking to yourself, I think the store is paying us, right? Because we don't chop this whole thing. They're mathematicians. They're amazing, right? And I don't care if she buys something or she doesn't buy anything. She's gallivanting around. She's trying this and that on. She's happy. Her simcha makes me happy. I don't need you to go next Sunday with me. Just the opposite. Your simcha, I am so happy today. You didn't buy anything. You did buy anything. I don't care. You had a good day? Shaykh, you happy? You had a good day? Amazing. I feel amazing. And vice versa. Sacrifice means to remove yourself for the other person. This week's Pasha. I was so happy that the Gurdjie Convention came out. This week's Pasha. This week's Pasha of Romovino. The Akedas Yitzchak, right? Why, why, do, why do we say Akedas Yitzchak? Why do we, why do we talk about Akedas Yitzchak, right? I am Kippur, we talk about Akedas Yitzchak. Why do we talk about Akedas Yitzchak, right? What do we do on Rosh Hashanah? We blow the Shaifer, right? What does the Shaifer remind you? Reminds you of the Ayol. The Ayol reminds Hashem that he never brought up Yitzchak. Why do we want to, want to remind Hashem, right, that he didn't bring up Yitzchak, but instead he brought up an Ayol? What we should do is take a kid, tie him in a gartel, put him on the bima, and say, you remember? This is what it looked like, right? Uh, this is what it looked like by Kenneth Yitzchak. Instead, we blow a shofar. The shofar reminds Hashem that we didn't bring Yitzchak. Shem Shem says the most amazing terrors. Bringing Yitzchak was a command that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him. Doesn't mean that he loved Hashem. He had a command. He had a relation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Maybe it was Yiro. The ayol, he wasn't Mechaev to bring. The ayol he brought because he said, I have to give you something. And that's the ava. That's the sacrifice. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're not reminding you of Akedah Yitzhak, HaKadosh Baruch was a tzaddik. He's a tzaddik, so you told him to do something, so he did it. But the ayol? The ayol? You didn't tell him to bring the ayol? It's in the first two psukim and the last two psukim. The last psukim. He looked up and he said, I love you. I can't walk out of here not making you happy. So Kosh said, really? You have that kind of love for me? I'll create an aisle for you to, to bring. That's the relationship that a husband and a wife have to have. It's the extra. It's the extra that shows that the person loves the other person. It's wanting to make the other person happy. It's not about me. If she is happy, I am happy. If my husband is happy, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, I don't even understand that the stuff makes him happy. But if it makes him happy, then I am happy. If you have that relationship, then you have a marriage. You disappear, and it doesn't matter anymore. And give them time. Guys, I'm going to you. Give them time. They don't need a lot of time, but they need focus time. You, you bring a dozen roses to your wife 
on her anniversary or her birthday, first of all, she's happy you remembered. Would you bring a dozen roses? It's 10 bucks, 12 bucks, $15. You're married 20 years, you come home with $15. I made a big mistake. I was telling the guys in my share, it's a very big thing. Bring a dozen roses. It's in the middle of the week for no reason. It's a very, it's a, right? Why? Doesn't make any sense. So I told him it's $10. So one of my Talmudim said, I'm going to be better on the anniversary. I'm not going to bring her a dozen roses. I'm going to give her 50 bucks. <laughs> so she took the 50 bucks and she threw it in his face. I, I want you 50 bucks. But my Rebbe said, if you can get a dozen roses, <laughs> that's only 10 bucks. I gave you 50 bucks. She said, what do you think? I want your money? I don't need your money. I have your credit cards. <laughs> I need your money for So what's the tarot? Why can you give... Why can a guy get engaged and give her one rose, cost him two bucks in a cellophane, gives her one rose and she's melting. And she has to put it in a special vase and she has to change the water. And my, you think the rose will be alive forever? I don't know. And she's happy, two bucks. Why? Because you thought of her and you spent the time to buy the rose. Women are about time. You need to spend the time. So it's not how much time, but it's very focused time. I had a boy that never was... I sent him to you, Ruven. I'm finishing. I think I sent him to you. He, he got married, and three months later, he came to me after my share at 12 o'clock at night. He says, I'm getting divorced. You're getting divorced. I know this kid. I'm like, you're getting divorced. You know, I was, I was at your wedding. I mean, like, you know, I was, I was an aide. You know, I'm, I don't like being an aide and on, on someone who's getting... I, I, I believe that whoever I'm an aide is going to be married forever. It's not true. But, you know, you want to believe that. I said, what happened? He says, I can't live with her. Why can't you live with her? I go, she tells me to go on my way home from Yeshiva and pick up four cans of string beans. And I made a mistake. I came home, I bought four cans of asparagus. I take the bag, I put it on the table, she takes them out, she goes, Chaim? Asparagus? If your friends would have sent you for string beans, you would have brought home string beans. What, were you on the phone? I mean, you're in Yeshiva, you don't know the difference? And he's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, I'm going to run right now, it didn't close, and I'll be back now in five minutes. She goes, no, I don't want them anymore. Now guys, we don't understand that, right? You want string beans, I'm bringing string beans, right? So he came to Yeshiva to tell me, I can't live with such a person. I said, you know what you did wrong? He says, no, I bought the wrong thing. He said, you know what, I didn't even tell her. But my mother used to send me shopping, and the stuff in the front you're never supposed to buy, because it's always the dated stuff, you take the stuff in the back. So I took the stuff in the back, I didn't look. So it's really the store's fault, but I didn't even want to tell her that, right? I can't, how can you live with someone that screams at you if your friends and your phone? I said, you don't understand. She sent you for string beans. It's not the string beans as you see. It's, she asked you to buy something. Focus on me for five minutes. Go into a store and focus on me and buy me string beans. I said, it's the time that you spent and you weren't focused. And then I called her down and I said, you know what? He's a good boy and he wanted you to get you, fre- he wanted you, get you the fresher ones, not the other. And of course, after talking to them, that was it. It was over. But it's the time. So the, uh, the men that are in here, if I could give you one advice for marriage, when you're giving time, give focus times. Ladies, my advice to you is, we need compliments. Not because we're weak. The closest person to us is our wife. When I speak, if my wife says, you spoke great, yes, I don't care what anyone else says. She says, you spoke miserable, I'm miserable, and I don't care what anyone else says. The bottom line is, that's the compliment that we're looking for. So ladies, yeah, they, you men learn hard and they work hard. And they're good guys and they're sticking with you. Every once in a while, a compliment. And guys, if you're going to give them time, you got to give them focus time. Salah Thank you.
Thank you, Rabbi Wallerstein. Probably the number one question that I get as a chassan teacher from the older generation, and that's a very relative word, is what changed? What changed? People in their 40s, they're marrying off their children. They bring a chassan, they bring a kala. He said, I don't understand. What changed? You're sitting one-on-one for hour upon hour upon hour. My, my son is shushking in the closet talking to you. What, what changed? It's a different... What happened over here? And the answer that I always give is that the world changed. The world changed more in the last 20 years in various aspects more than it changed in 2,000 years before that. After the Holocaust, we were focused on survival. You speak to the older generation, they were focused on survival, the basics. You had some food, you lived in an apartment, in a tenement, you took the subway, that was your life. The next generation started expanding on that. They recognized. They said, you know what? We need these basic staples, but we can expand. We can buy a house. We can buy a car. I'm sure some people here remember when they got their first, the phone in the car. That was like the biggest day of their whole life. You got a phone that cost you like $97 to call somebody, right? Everybody was so excited, they started expanding their borders a little bit. But today's generation, it takes that for granted. Nobody's scared that they're not going to have food at night in our communities. It's almost unheard of. We take the things that in previous generations were the sole focus of your day, and we just take it for granted. And today's generation has become much more sophisticated very sophisticated. I have a friend. He sells, he sells clothing. He told me he had a whole bunch of socks that he bought one year for Purim. Bought them 15, 20 years ago. They were sitting in the back shelf. He said he can't keep on to them anymore. He said you walk around any yeshiva, the guys roll up their socks. He's like, there's a thousand colors of socks today. The belts, the ties, the shoes... Our phones. People have a crisis that their phone is not upgraded fast enough because there's a new feature that just came out and you have to have it. And that's a crisis. The generation that we live in today is a much more sophisticated generation. And when it comes to our relationships, things have become more sophisticated. Whereas you used to turn to a chassan and say to him, Communication is the most important thing. Shalom is the most important thing. He would say, yeah? Tell me, how do I get there? And what about the fact that I don't have a new phone? Whereas we used to tell people, hakar satayv, giving in, compromising. These are the staples of marriage. They look at you like you're strange. Like one chassan I, saw, I sat with recently, 
He looked me in the eye and he said to me, I don't think me and you are going to get along very well. I said, why not? He said, because you will not be able to understand me. I said, why not? He said, because you're too old. You're too old. I don't think anybody in this room (laughs) is younger than me. I'm too old. I'm too old to teach a chassan. Could you imagine what that means? It's a different world. The generations, the cycling of generations, it's speeding up at a rate where it's almost impossible to keep up with. We talk about how communication is the most important thing. So I had a guy I was sitting with and he said to me, we don't have a communication issue. I said, great. He said, I look her straight in the eye. And I say to her, I don't like you. We are communicating. He said, because my chassan teacher told me communication is the most important thing in the world. So I communicate. I tell her exactly how I feel. You see, the generation is much more sophisticated. The generation has taken it a step further than that. They've recognized that if you're on your phone when your wife is talking to you, that is not a lack of communication. You are communicating to her that you're not interested in her. You're communicating to her that she is not chashev. You're communicating to her that her every want, need, and desire is not important to you. You are communicating. And whereas we've taught our parents that when you fall asleep on a Friday night by the table, you're singing Yemzah Mechubar and you just kill, kill off into the darkness, that you're communicating to your children that Shabbos is not important to you, that the Suda is not important to you, that the family is not important to you. We have to communicate that to our children so that they understand that multiple times a day they are communicating to their spouse. But what's more important is that they have to understand what they need to communicate. We communicate so often, but if we don't understand the basics of what we need to communicate, then we're probably not going to be hitting our target. This idea applies to every single couple. There was a couple that was having some heavy shalom bias situations. And they used to come to my wife and myself, and they would sit with us and they would talk to us. And it's a good thing we have doors between ourselves and our sleeping children because our kids would have definitely woken up when these two started going at each other. We met this couple at a wedding. And they were standing there with their parents and their in-laws. And one of the mothers, she says, Oh, we know you guys. You guys are the guys that deal with the crazy couples. And the girl's face sunk. But the mother puts her arm around her daughter and says, My Shandy, she'll never need to deal with somebody like you. The stories, the communication, the ideas that we need to communicate to our children, but more than our children, that we need to live by a certain example, 
It needs to be taught to every single couple. We need to recognize that every marriage takes work, and we need to have a vision for what that work entails. These ideas have to be communicated to every young couple. They have to be communicated to every couple with young children. They have to be communicated to every couple who's marrying off their children. It really has to be communicated to everybody. That the day that you get married, you start setting the foundation for your children's home. And when we can recognize that, and when we can take the practical and make it into reality, then we can become successful. So that when we ask our children, who here's mommy and daddy loves each other, and who here wants a marriage that's as happy and successful as your parents, more hands can go up. We're blessed to have with us Rabbi Shlomo Farhi, another laundry list of accolades, but his name precedes himself wherever he goes, an international speaker, director of Chazak. He headed the HUK Schools Division and he's the director of the Jewish Futures Fund. He's one of the few people out there who does so much publicly and so much more privately. Please welcome Rabbi Shlomo Farhi. This one? So I'd like to thank the real hero of, uh, of this convention, coffee. <clears throat> it's now 11.47, it's past my bedtime. So I will uh, forgive any of you if you nod off, so long as you'll forgive me if I do as well. <clears throat> uh, I was asked to come and speak to you about the topic of marriage, and it's uh, humbling, humbling to be st- uh, standing next to such an uh, iconic speaker as... Uh, the speaker that stands to my right, and a uh, unbelievable uh, talent in this field, uh, Rev. Ruvain. I mean, it was, I mean, quite amazing for me to hear that you've been in Hechilach for 38 years when I'm 38 years old. Um, so technically, uh, I mean, I don't know what that means, but I just figured I'd throw that out there. <clears throat> don't get a lot of chances to point out how young I am. So I grabbed it with both hands. I have to say as well, I'm really glad to be here at the Aguda Convention, and I hope this one works out better for me than the last one. The last time I, went, I came to the Aguda Convention was not as a speaker, it was as a little child. I told my parents, I really want to hear all the G'daylam say Devrei Torah. And then I went, proceeded to play tag through in the hallways with my friends for hours. And it was fantastic. And, you know, it's dark, and there's great speakers, and my parents had no idea where I was. And we were playing tag. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, the Torah says, Kel Nekamois Hashem. <laughs> so I'm running down this very, very long corridor, which seems like it goes on forever. It didn't. There was a giant mirror at the end of the corridor that was facing back, but it was slightly tilted, so all you saw were the doors on the left side, but not me running down full speed. And it was actually quite amazing, because I hit this mirror running full speed, and I injured my knee, my foot, my hand and my forehead. And I walk in to the end of the conference, you know, and I meet my parents and the lights go on. 
My mother said, what happened to your head? And your hand? And your knee? And your foot? <clears throat> I had a hard time getting out of that one. So it can only go up here. The Gemara in Saita and Dafyid Zion tells us an amazing drasha. And a drasha that illustrates my pet peeve. My pet peeve, I'm sure you'll agree with me uh, as an educator. There's nothing I hate more, well maybe Hitler, but nothing I hate more than when people think they know the answer, but they really just don't know the answer. So it's like, so what is it? And they read like, they parrot back what they learned in Cheder, you know what I mean? And they, you know, they know the answer, but then because they know the answer, they're not thinking at all, because they know the answer. So you can't teach someone who knows the answer. That's why Kirib Rechleikim is much easier. Okay. Dorish Rabbi Akiva. Ish v'isha zochu shechina b'neim. Man and woman who merited the shechina rests between them. Loi zochu if they did not merit. Ish oichlosan. A fire consumes them. I love the uh, imagery there. A fire consumes them. Says Rashi. Shechina b'neim sharei chilek es shemoy Hashem divided his name. And he put his name, HaKadosh Baruch Hu put his name, Yud Be'ish, Ve'hei Be'isha. He put the Yud in the man, in the word Ish, and he put the Hei in the word Isha. So, Loi Zahu, if they did not merit to have the Shechina between them, Eish Achlosom, Sha'akadosh Baruch Hu, Mesalek Shmoi Bibeneim, Ve'nimtu, Eish Ve'ish. And they wind up becoming Eish Ve'ish, fire and fire. First of all, I always wondered, why do you need two fires here? There's one fire, not enough to burn up this house. So what is this ish ve'ish? If only one of them was fire, would that not be enough? But more than that, it kind of sounds like this cutesy thing, doesn't it? There's a yud there, there's a hay there, you don't have the shechina. What are you left? Give me an A, give me an I, give me an ish. Right? Is this what's happening here? What, we, what is this concept of lo'izochu, you know, ish So I want to express this idea. <clears throat> what does it mean? The concept of having a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name in a marriage, a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name in the Ish, his name in the Isha, the Yud and the Hey, dividing between the letters of A, Aleph, and Shin in the man, and following the letters of Aleph and Shin in the woman, protecting this family from being consumed alive. What we're communicating is if you want to have the marriage work, Zachu, Zachu means you were Zaycha, but it also means when a person is Zach, when they are pure, when they are acting in the purest form that they are supposed to, Shechina Beinayim. How do you get the Shechina Beinayim? How do you welcome the Shechina in? The answer is, by having the Shechina in the marriage. By being godlike in your marriage. So what does it mean to be godlike? The nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. There's nothing that he can take. And because there's nothing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu can take, if you can act like HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you can have godliness in the marriage, then they don't have this mitzvah of Eish Achlasan. If each one is not taking from one another. However, I'd like to take it one step further. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not just not taking. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unable to take. So if in order to have God in our marriages, God in the man and in the woman, we need to be like him, not taking. Not taking is not enough. We need to be unable to take. So how do I become unable to take? How does that work? 
And the terrorist is something incredibly powerful. When a man and a woman begin to see themselves as one unit, when they begin to see themselves as one part, immediately they become unable to be Mechabel one from the other. Why can't Hashem be Mechabel? Because it's not just that everything belongs to Him. It's that everything is Him. What would give to HaKadosh Baruch Where would He take from to give to? Hashem is unable to be Mechabel. And if a person wants to be able to have Shechina Beinayim, that's the relationship that they need to cultivate. To be unable to take from the other. Because they are me and I and them. So who would give and who would take and how would that work? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to express this from another angle. And hopefully we'll try and break this down. The Gemara in Kedusha and Aflamid discusses an idea. And once a person begins to crack the code of Chazal, by learning and learning and learning and learning, eventually you start to notice the fingerprint of one sugya on another. You start to notice the confluence of ideas playing out from one place to the next. And the Gemara says, Ton Rabbanon, Shloisha Shutfinim Ba'adam, there are three partners in a man. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ve'ave Ve'imai, Hashem and his mother and his father. Bizman Sha'adam Mechaben Es Ave Ve'imai, if a person respects their father or their mother. Amra HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ma'ale Ani Alehem, I consider it Ki'iludarti Be'inehem V'chibduni. If the son respects his father and his mother, says Hashem, I consider it as if I was living between them. Those words, darti beinehem, the chibduni, is this exact idea, shechina beinehem. Now look at what Rashi says on this. Rashi says, shleisha shulternehem. He quotes the b'risa in Nida, that what does the man bring? The man brings the loiben, he brings the white, the bones to the child. What does the woman bring? The woman brings the oidem, the red. And what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Noifeach Neshama Hashem breathes into this child the Neshama, the soul Mare'ai and the ability to see Vishmias Oizen and the capacity to hear Vidibur and the ability thereupon to speak The simple Pshat and Rashi is Rashi's giving you the ingredients that God brings as opposed to those that are donated genetically by the father and the mother but there's something much deeper here Rabbi Yisrael why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu give the Neshama? Why does He give the ability to see, to hear, and to speak? Because that was the Chalik that brought HaKadosh Baruch Hu in, in the first place. If He was Leuven and she was Oidem, if each one brought what they were bringing into the marriage, but they were unable to have a Neshama here, to have a Bissel heart, a little bit of love, a little bit of understanding, if they couldn't see where the other one was coming from, if they could not hear what they were saying, even though they were saying it in different words. When they tell you to take out the garbage, they're not talking about the garbage. And finally, Dibur, first to see, then to hear, and only afterwards to open your mouth. This is one of the hardest lessons for men to learn. To be able to fathom without being told what their other half needs from them. To see and to hear before they speak. To see the place where she's coming from. Before you really listening even to what she says. Because if you don't see where they're at, what they're saying is not going to be what they're saying. And once you've heard that, 
to be able to then respond and communicate according to what she says and what she needs. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, invested in the relationship, provides this because that's what brought him in in the first place. That's what a house looks like when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is present. The relationship has an neshama. And the proof is that the son is now Machabed. Because if the parents weren't acting that way one with the other, what would the child be like? Chazal tell us that the Kruvim, which were children, are represented by Zohar and Nekeva. And if they're a Tinnik, why is it Zohar and Nekeva in the Territories in order for the Tinnik to be able to be raised in the proper way, to be Kodesh Kadoshim and not the monster, the Malachi Chavala that we find in Bereshis? It requires what the Gemara says in Chagiga, that they, what they would open up the Parechis during the time when Kleistral came and they would find the Kruvim, Meurim, Zebozeh. Again, at first glance, Chazal seemed to be saying that they're hugging. But Me'urim means that they were connected. They were mixed one with the other. When they were one thing. And I want to share with you one of the deepest ideas that I've ever uh, come across. It's something that will power understanding in every arena in your life. I call this idea primary purpose. What is a prime number? A prime number is a number that is only divisible by one and itself. That means nine is not a prime number because nine can be divided by three. So nine is not really nine, it's three threes. Does that make sense? Four is not four, it's two twos. So those are not prime numbers. The concept of a prime number is a number that has been broken down to its purest essence, zahu. Ladies and gentlemen, primary purpose means that we analyze the purpose in our actions and ask a question, why am I doing this? And then you have an answer. And then you ask again on that, why am I doing that? And if you can keep asking until you get to the core, then you have what you want. And let me show you how this plays out. Sorry. Let me show you how this plays out. You have a bakr in yeshiva. He's 25. And everyone's telling him he needs to hurry up. So what does he do? He's getting lonely. His friends are getting married. So he starts dating like a madman. The minute he finishes one, he's out the next night again. He goes to out of town. He's dating three people at the same time. This is what goes on. God forbid if he's 26, 28, Shema Yisrael. This is what happens. Why is he getting married? Why is he driven to get married? Because he doesn't want to be alone. That's his primary purpose. In the secular world, I hear this from parents all the time. Why are you having children? Because I'm getting older. So the prime reason why you're having a child is because you're afraid you'll get too old to not have a child? Do you know what happens to someone who got married because they were lonely? Finally they get married, and what happens? Everything falls apart. Because if I was lonely, all I needed was a roommate. But when the roommate wants to share my bank account, and pull the covers off on cold nights, I didn't need this. All I was looking for was to be mamala, this chesorah. When a husband and wife are not zahu, they've not driven it down to its purest form and essence, then ish oichlotzam. 
The nature of fire is that it uses everything else to power, to fuel. It, it has the propensity to devour everything in order to be able to live, to express itself. And you have a husband who thinks that his wife, her job is to make him happy. And a wife who thinks that her husband's job is to make her happy. And when either one of us are not doing the jobs, everything falls apart again. What is the primary purpose? The Gemara tells us that Rabbi Yossi used to say, Miyomai, in all of my days, I never called my wife my wife. El Ishti Basi. I called my wife my home. So what does this mean? He called his wife his home. There was a taxi driver who was once taking Rabbi Levine back home. And he asked him, where is your home? And Rabbi Levine said, I don't have a home, but I live on this and this street, on this and this apartment building. Taxi driver didn't understand. He said, what do you mean? And Rabbi Levine said, my wife was my home. But she passed away. And since she passed away, I do not have a home. I only have the address of the place in which I live. The primary purpose of marriage is to be able to build a bias. And if you are not getting married for that, stop now. Pain and dejection wait for you. Because the thing that you're running at, it's much more complicated than just someone who keeps you busy. Someone who is going to be that person that you go to weddings with. So you don't have to sit at the married table by yourself. If that's what it is, it's too expensive. There's too much that she demands of you in order to fulfill those things. And ultimately, you're left upset. So Rabbi Isai and Rabbi Tzadoisai, this concept, of being able to see the Isha as a bias is crucial because it sets a person up to avoid the heartbreak that so often strikes us. If we were to communicate this idea to our children in some effective way that they should be ready before they start to be able to do this, I'd like to suggest what that means. The Pesach says that when Avram is is traveling to Mitzrayim, all of a sudden, he turns to his wife and he says, Oh my gosh, I just realized Avram like ruins every chassan class. He's been married for like decades. He turns to his wife and he says, Now I know that you're a very beautiful woman. Now you know, after all this time, how come he wasn't giving compliments? Yeah, like uh, my esteemed colleague said. So what's fascinating is what Rashi comments on this. Rashi says, how come he's only noticing now? Medrish Agada Ad up until now he did not recognize because they were both so tsonua. But now, because of the story, he managed, he realized he saw her. It cannot mean that he had not seen her up until now. Because the Gemara in Kedushin says, A person is not allowed to be Makadish's wife until he sees her. So it has to be that he saw her before. If he saw her before, what's the problem? How come he's noticing now that she's beautiful? Take a look in the Medrash and you'll see a beautiful thing. It says the Medrash, 
as they were traveling along. But to quote to you the words of the Medrash, listen to this. The Medrash says, Kivon Shehigia, Lefilesh Mitzrayim, till they got to the outskirts of Mitzrayim, the Omdu Al Hayaor, and they were standing at the Yaor at the water. Ro'o Avraham Avinu, Rabbam Avinu saw Babuah Shel Sarah Nahar. He saw the reflection of Sarah in the ocean, in the in the river. Kichamazayrachas, like a sun that was shining. And he said to her, He may know your dati, now I know. But if he'd seen her before, like we said from the Ikasitzi then what difference was it that he now saw her in the river? He'd already seen her. And the Teretz Rabbi says, Unbelievable, the fingerprint in another sugya. The Gemara in the Dorm tells us that Shimon Atzadik said, I never ever ate from the Korban of a Nazir, not once, except for one young man. He came in, I saw him, he was beautiful. His face, his hair, everything. The guy looked like an unbelievably beautiful man. And I said to him, why, why are you cutting your hair? What has caused all this Naziris? And the, listen to the, what the man says again. He says, I was shepherding for my father. I went to fill up water from the, the well, from the spring of an istakalti bibabua sheli. And I looked at my reflection, and suddenly my Yetzahara overcame me, and he wanted to get me out, and I swore in that moment, when I saw my reflection, that I would become a Nazir, and take off this beautiful hair, that was threatening me, to do an Avera. What is this with the reflection in the waters? Rabbi said the Teretz is, Avram never had a Havamina, Ben Benoi shall Havamina. He never, it never entered his mind that he would go to Egypt and they would take his wife, his tzadikas, Sarah Imenu. They were going to take her as an object to fulfill their desires. This is Rebetzin Kanievsky of the door. That's not who she is. That's not what she is. How could anyone not see that? And then Abram saw her for the first time, not as a three-dimensional character, not as someone that was so beautiful and so wise and so caring and so kind, but he saw two dimensions. And he saw that she was gorgeous. And he says, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with these Michu'orim of the Egyptians? What are they going to do? The same with the man in Gemara Nadarim. He'd seen himself before, but now in this way... Ah, it's only a reflection. Rabbi Yisai, this is what we need to be able to see when we are looking at our significant others. If you want to be able to invest in this other person, you have to remember what your primary purpose was in the first place. And if it was wrong years ago, then to fix that now, what do I want with this person? What do I want to do? What do I want to build? What do I want to become? And the minute a person does that and can see the milus in their other, then they become two complementary parts of something. And they become like a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and this Eish Eichlason, this concept of the fire being something that burns everything for its own use and its own desires dissipates. I'm conscious of the time, and therefore I'm going to end, because we're supposed to have questions. But I would just like to ask one thing before we stop. And that is this. There was one moment in my life 
as a father where I felt like I had failed the job of being a father. It was my anniversary and we had booked a beautiful restaurant to go to. Very difficult to get reservations. There are not a lot of restaurants in London that are very you know, high caliber. And it was getting late and that would mean that we'd miss it. And the kids were running back and forth. And specifically one of my daughters was running up and down, running back and forth. And she was late. She had to go to practice something in the school. And then as she's running back and forth, getting ready to go to her thing, practice in the school, one of my daughters from upstairs shouts down to her, could you pick up my papers from school? I can't, I'm too busy. Could you pick up my papers from school? I need them for my exam. I'm too busy, I'm leaving alone, I'm busy. I'm busy. Flipping out. Could you get my, I can't hear this anymore. Everything's chaos, we need to go, it's time late, time is late, etc., etc. And I yell up, I say to my daughter, I say, this, she's only asking you for some papers. Stop running around like a crazy person. Calm down. Answer her. Tell her you're going to get the papers. Get everything ready. You need to go to the school. You need to leave so that we can leave, so that we'll make the time. So we can, So I'm not going to get in trouble because I forgot the English date of my anniversary and only made up with it for the Hebrew one. <laughs> Jewish people are so lucky with this. Go ahead and don't have this, you know. They only get one shot at getting yelled at. And she bursts into tears and runs upstairs, gets her clothes, and she says, Fine! I'll get her the papers. She changes, comes back out, storms out the door as only teenagers can. And then I walked into the kitchen where she'd been running in and out of. And I felt like a dagger went through my heart. Because on the counter was a cake that had fallen all through the middle where my daughter had been trying her hardest to ice a cake that's fallen. That's impossible. It's basically a donut. <laughs> and instead of being able to write on the top, she now had to write on the side of the plate in a hurried manner because her Abba was yelling at her. Happy anniversary, Abba and Mommy. Suddenly the anniversary and the dinner wasn't as important, was it? And I took out a pen and paper. I wrote a long note so that she should get it before we come home. About how the effort that she put in means everything to us. And it's not whether or not it was matzliach or not. It's the cake that she built. It's the time that she spent. It's the emotions that she invested. Rabbi Isai, your children and you have a relationship that you cannot break. But your wife and you have a relationship that can and if everything would stop in such a moment where you'd let your child down and you'd feel terrible and the world would stop spinning until you'd fixed it, Allah has come the karma. You have to make that effort with your own wives. And the same with your husbands. Women need love. But more than love, husbands need respect. They need to feel respected. If they only feel love and they don't feel respect, trust me, we feel like a nebuch. To be able to look at the other person and say, this is what I came here to build, I came here to build a bias, means understanding that you're not giving anybody anything. It's your house together, with your children together, with your children being mechabed you because they see how you're acting one with the other. 
And Be'ezer Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will look down on our efforts. And he'll notice that even when our cakes fall, and even when our efforts are not exactly being matzlech in the way that we want them to, he'll notice the effort that we're putting in and bless us with the most incredible shalom bayis and most incredible chinuch for our children. There were some people who had asked if they could have some questions and answers. So we're going to just, I just want to throw one onto the table and allow the rabbis to, to jump on this. And anybody else who has questions, we'll either keep the mics on or keep them off. And we'll be able to deal with it in that manner. But the, one of the, the things which I, I believe anyone who's dealing with couples can agree on is that the only thing harder than dealing with a couple that's sitting in your office and yelling and crying and fighting with each other, the only thing more difficult than that is when you don't have a couple, is when you only have one. You only have a husband, and he's throwing the kitchen sink into the conversation as he's telling you everything wrong with his wife. Or a woman who's broken down in tears, and she's telling you everything that her husband does that's the meanest, the worst guy in the whole world. And the question is what does somebody do when they recognize that their marriage needs work but there's nobody to talk to? Rabbi Wallerstein, Rabbi Farhi, take it away. You have a little more experience. Have to process a little bit. The question is one more time, so we are clear. The question was, what is what does someone do when they realize, or when they think that there's nobody on the other side of the conversation? Yeah, <clears throat> it's a very hard one. Uh, I'm kind of getting a little bit of that feeling now as people leave, so that there's no one on the other side of the conversation. So maybe I could kind of counsel you from my own feelings of inadequacy. Um, but the, I'll tell you two points. Number one. You know, the Pesach says, V'samtem is devare eilev, you will place these words, alavavchem. And everybody asks, why are we saying you should place the words alavavchem, place them bilavavchem? Place them in the heart. Why do you want something on the heart? And the Vilna Garden famously answers that sometimes someone's heart is not open to be able to hear. So in such a scenario, what do they do? You start placing those things, alavavchem, on your heart. And then in a crisis, in an accident, in a moment of clarity, in the middle of Yom Kippur, whenever the heart opens a tiny bit and everything that's been stacked on it, for days, weeks, years, just falls in in one fell swoop. Nafali ha'asimon is how they would say it in Hebrew. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of times the person across from you looks like they are not there. And they look like they're not involved. That doesn't mean that the conversations that you're having are actually not being heard. But at the same time, it can be incredibly frustrating. Because even if you know that, they're not as engaged as me. And I'm going to say something now that is horrible. Whenever you speak, I'm sure that you can, va- you can validate as well. Whenever you speak at a conference for women on Shalom Bias, so immediately the women come up after this conference and they say, Rabbi, that was amazing. It was so good. You really need to teach this to the men. 
And when you go to the men's conference, the men say, this is fantastic stuff. And the women really need to hear this. And do you know what I said at that conference, or at those conferences? You know what I said? Yeah, we will. We will give them this. We will teach them as much as we can about all this. And hopefully it won't be at 12 o'clock at night, and hopefully it'll be with more than 25 minutes to expand the idea. But, but, when you walk in here, and you want to improve what you bring to the marriage, it doesn't have anything to do with what the other person is doing. If I want to improve my home for my kids, of course it would be great if that other person was doing and bringing something as well. But even if it's just me improving what I'm bringing, even if he doesn't improve, doesn't that measurably make this marriage and this home better? You try, you do everything you can, you be nice, you have all the ideas. But if we can tick this box and we can agree that even if the other person is not going to get better, I'm still going to bring my A-game, then whatever you get is gravy. Whatever you get is gravy. And as Rabbi Wasi pointed out, if the only reason why you're being nice is so that he listens and he's being nice, then you miss the point. You're just a sophisticated taker. So that's my answer. I'm thinking uh, there's a real problem. She's coming or he's coming without their spouse. Um, so he has to first. I, I don't really do shalom bias with one or without the other one. I'm very mocked that I have to. I have to see both of them. But um, sometimes the man feels he has nothing to say at home. So being that she says everything anyway, just let her go talk to you. I don't need to go talk to you. And sometimes it's vice versa. Um, so you, you really need to, if you're going to talk to the one, to find out why he's not coming, and to try to coach the one that is there, how to ch- ch- change the relationship to the point where now he'll want to come. In other words, to give him a voice for her to start listening. So when, when you start listening to someone, then that person would love for you to listen to them. So when, when that one person begins to start listening to the other person and letting them talk at home, then we'll get them to talk outside the home. But I don't usually talk to one without the other because it's her story, his story, and their story. If you get them both in the room together, 90% of the battle is, is done once you have them both in front of you. I don't understand um, people who do shalom bias um, on the professional side sometimes. They ask each one, they come to write three or four things that they would like the other one to change. Um, and it usually blows up in everyone's face because, the, you know, she's writing like, he snores. I like him to stop snoring. Um, he's much too fat. I like him to lose weight. And here you're trying to make Shalom bias, and he's like, that too? I didn't even know that. And it, it just gets so much worse. And he writes stuff about her, and she's writing, I don't know where that comes from. You want to do Shalom bias, it's like, write two or three things that you love about your husband. That makes him different than everyone else. Right? Two or three things that you love about your wife that makes her different. And then you just you just sit back and when they're writing nice things about each other, the, the, the person who's doing the show and bias really doesn't have to do that much. It, it just happens. When when people are writing the good things that they see in the other, really? You really like that about me? You didn't know that. You never told that to me. I know I never told it to you. I didn't think it was that important. And you, you just back off. You don't have to say anything anymore. So I, I think that very much 
if, you, if you're doing Shalomayas, you need to get them both at the table. Once you have them at the table, you need them, there's always one thing. If they can't write three things, then I have people say, I can't write three things. I'm like, just write one thing. There's always like, there's one thing. And also, I think the biggest question, which I ask all the time, did you ever have a relationship? In other words, you had a relationship, you were married, you were good together for a year, two, five, whatever it is, did it ever exist? So now I can try to figure out how to get back to that relationship. If you never had a relationship from day one, so then I have to create a new relationship, you already have a lot of bad stuff that happened between you, it's very hard to fix. So yes, I think that if one shows up and you can't get the other one, you need to teach the other one how to be more complimentary at home and more communicative, and then that other person, everybody wants somebody to hear their story. So if he feels at home all the time, she never listens to me, or he never listens to me, right? I was surprised how many guys were here tonight. I was really surprised, because like most guys would be like, you go to they the they, they, they came to this so that their wives would go to the other session with them no, later. Actually, their wives told me they better be here. <laughs> but, but, you know, like you go and you come back and tell me what they said. You know, so, so whoever was in here already um, is very invested in their marriage. Because once, you, once you're willing to come, that's already... It's really 90%. So whoever's still here, that's like, wow, you guys should go out and buy roses tomorrow. <laughs> Ten bucks, but don't tell them to pick it up, deliver it. That's also a big mistake. That boy rolls and he says, you, I, I, they're waiting in the flower store, go pick them up. She's like, pick them up? I'm not picking them up. So it's, 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 it shows very much. I, I did not think that so many people would show up here tonight. Um, and that shows how much it really, really counts. And it counts for you, but even more than for you, it really counts for your children. When you look for a shidduch, you have to look at the parents because the boy or the girl, their education of what marriage is, is the parents. I happen to have, for one of my daughters, had my eyes on a boy and I really wanted this shidduch. And I told my wife that I really wanted this shidduch. It was a boy that I, it was a friend of mine's kid and I watched him grow up and I, he was a superstar, really learning everything. And my wife said, absolutely not. These were my friends. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, my friend is goes away for, for a week and plays golf with his buddies. And goes away another week on vacation with his friends for a week in the summer. And my wife's like, this boy who's a superstar thinks that a husband should go golfing with his buddies for a week. I don't want our daughter to be married to a kid who's very healthy and very good, but what do you mean I can't go golfing for a week with my friends? I, my father did that. My father's the greatest guy. So, yeah, it's what, it's what you do in your marriage is what your kids' expectations are. And they don't understand any other marriage. So, like the rabbi said before, it's important for us. It's really important for our kids. And Baruch Hashem, we have more than one kid. That means there's a lot of marriages. And, and that's what they, that's, that's their expectation that's what they learn. So when you look for a shidduch, you look at the boy, you look at the girl, but you want to make sure that the parents have a good, healthy marriage. Because that boy or that girl that's coming into your family, they only know what they saw. It's a very important lesson. Thank you, Rabbi Wallerstein and Rabbi Karki, and thank you so much. I this is Show of America. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.